You know, it's it's really, really just a privilege um, just to be here at Calvary Bible Church, to be here in the Bahamas, um, you know, just to be a part of such a great body of believers, and you know, spend a little time with you, with 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 you, you youth, and you guys got a uh, just a good youth group here, and I think it's going to be pretty awesome for Tamson and um, and what's Nicholas. I just met them both. Um, I think they're just gonna be really blessed, you know, by what God's gonna do here, and I'm excited to see what what's gonna happen um, with all the work that Michelo did and just passing it on to them. Um, it's gonna be pretty awesome. But it's so amazing. We just sang this song. What's so amazing about grace? Um, and Michelo was talking about grace, and what do you know? I'm I'm gonna be talking about grace. So I guess maybe God wanted to speak to us about grace today. That's that's what I'm thinking at least. Um, there's this book that I've read. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace. Um, you hear this word a lot probably in church, grace, you know, maybe even some parents name their daughters grace. Um, you know, this grace is used in so many words. In fact, you might call the queen your grace. Um, that's another word for the queen. Um, or your highness, that's one another one too. There's a lot of them. Um, thank you, Kevin. Um, but it's amazing. You know, where we look at that word before that, I just want, before we talk about that, I just want to take, tell you guys a little bit more about me. You know, I, you know, I don't know if you guys remember what I said before. I'm from California. I'm a, I'm a surfer. Um, I like to skateboard and snowboard and do sports and different things like that. Um, spearfish here in the Bahamas, love to do that. Um, but before I did that, I had a, a bunch of different jobs before I came to the Bahamas. Um, I owned my own business. That was one job where uh, we did residential homes, cleaning the windows. Um, that was a good job. Before that, I was actually a waiter. All right. Now, I was a waiter for the sushi restaurant for about two or three years. And this is when I was way back in the day. I was young. You know, I was like 20, 21, 22. But um, for you guys, it's old. But for me, that was young, you know. I'm like, I'm ancient. I'm, I'm 30, actually. So, so check this out. I worked at this restaurant, right? And it was a sushi restaurant. Anyone ever had sushi before? Yeah? You guys like it? Yeah? I love sushi. All right, all right. Well, let's simmer down. Simmer down a little bit. Okay. We, we can swap sushi stories later, but let's just, you know, let's stay on, this, on, on, on the topic here. So we, um, I, I worked at this sushi restaurant, right? And I was a waiter. But see, there's a big difference between waiter in California than there is in the Bahamas. Because when you're a waiter in the Bahamas, there's something that's added at the end of the check called what? Gratuity. Gratuity, right. Now, the cool thing in California is, you know, you just add a 15% straight off the board. But where I worked, um, they could add zero, nothing at all, or they could add 30%, 40%. Sometimes I even got a 100% tip because this was like a really high-end sushi place. I mean, to the fact that, you know, some of my best nights I made close to $1,000 a night, you know, on my best nights. Some nights, you know, it was $200 a night. Some nights, you know, it was, it was a great job for a young guy, maybe too great of a job for me because I wasn't walking with God and it was easy to spend a lot of money. But the, the thing about it is they didn't have to give anything. If my service was bad, what happened? They didn't give me anything. They'd be like, you know what, this guy did not deserve anything because they didn't have to. It wasn't required. And actually, you get this word gratuity from the word grace, something that's not deserved. You don't necessarily have to give it, you know. Um, grace is unmerited. We are saved by God's grace, but that doesn't mean we deserve it. Now, here in the Bahamas, here in, or, or in California, 
all over the world, people think they're owed something. You know, they think they, okay, I deserve this. I deserve a good job. I deserve, you know, a college education. I deserve all, all these things. But you know what? I mean, the reality is, is we don't deserve anything. You know, we need to work for it. You know, we need to earn trust. Not We don't deserve trust from our parents or from, you know, your, your friends or whatever. You, you know, we don't really deserve anything. But even as we didn't deserve grace from God, we didn't deserve for our sins to be covered, God covered it completely. And so I want to talk about that tonight because if you get grace, if you get the idea of your grace, but not only that, if, if it goes deep down into your heart, it's going to change your life. So um, let's just op- let's open with a word of prayer. And, um, you know, I think this is something I'm still learning about and God's still reaching deeper and deeper down in my heart to show me what grace is about. And I don't think it, I'm ever going to um, get there. But I tell you what, the more that I understand grace, the better person I am. And so let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for who you are. God, for what you've done on the cross, Lord. It's so um, cliche in a Christian world, Lord, to say that, um, to say it sometimes without meaning. But God, seriously, we we thank you. We thank you so much. God, we thank you um, that we are saved. Lord, for anyone in this room that, that isn't saved, that hasn't experienced the grace of God, maybe that has heard of the grace of God, Lord, we just pray that, um, Lord, you would do a work in their hearts. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill us up, you would fill me up, Lord, um, and that you would speak through me, God, your gospel of grace. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bible, um, you could open it up to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, Mishalo finished Ephesians chapter 2, right? So I'm just, we're just going to go over this, Ephesians chapter 3. Um, I say I'm a lot, so bear with me. Ephesians chapter 3. Now I want to talk about this guy, Paul. You guys heard about, who, who knows about Paul? Yeah? You guys know that Paul was a pretty, pretty wild guy before he had a different name. What was that name? Saul. Saul, right. This guy was, he terrorized the Christian church. Imagine if you guys were in modern, or if, imagine if this, we were transformed to where we were actually in, at this time, we were at the Jerusalem, we were during the time of the beginning of the church, and it was exciting. It was exciting because our lives were being changed. It was exciting because this guy, Jesus, did something that's never been done before. He died and rose again. But not only was this guy, Jesus, different than every other person, he did all his healings. He, um, he spoke these really tough words, but he also was so kind and merciful. He was so generous. He was so gracious. The Bible says that Jesus was full of what? Grace and truth. Right. He said he's full of grace and full of truth, not 50% grace and 50% truth. So if you've ever been gracious to a person, if someone's ever hurt you or wronged you and you've been gracious to them, what does that mean? How do you return their wrongdoing to you? You turn it, you turn it with kindness, right? You turn it with love. You return it. This is the definition of what the gospel is all about. Okay? And so this guy, Paul, he did some radical stuff against the church. I mean, it was an exciting time, yes, but it was scary. And it's inc- incredible the way that you see, um, we talk about God and we talk about how God is so faithful, but only that, we could, he's got the perfect plan, right? Well, right around this time, Paul was persecuting the church, right? But the church was just in Jerusalem. I mean, maybe a couple of people were being saved outside of Jerusalem, but God's plan was to give the gospel, was to send the gospel throughout all the world. And what do you think he used to do that with? 
What's that? Disciples, yeah. But how did he get the disciples out into the world? The Holy Spirit, okay. And, and what else? What, what, we were just talking about this. Persecution happened, right? People were scared. And they actually, God used that to spread the Christians all throughout the world to start spreading the gospel. And so that's how it transformed from this place in Jerusalem to going all throughout the world. God used people like Saul to actually progress the gospel. Now, you, everyone there at the time would be thinking, oh my gosh, this guy, he's just ruining everything. It's, it's terrifying. I mean, none of us has been put into the place where we are you know, going to be killed for our faith. You know, no one's been put to the test of, are you a Christian? And you say yes and you die. But these people were, and so they were terrified of what was going on. But little did they know what God was doing. God was actually sending these people out as the first missionaries into the world. Now, for modern day people, maybe people like us in the Bahamas, the United States, where we're not necessarily persecuted like that, he might send, a pastor might send a missionary, but God used people like Saul, someone who was persecuting the church, but he was actually using him for his grace, which is pretty amazing. We're going to see how he even used him even more. Um, and it's amazing because Paul had the right attitude after he became from Saul to Paul. Um, so after his transformation, you know, God met up with him in a big way and his life changed. You know, all of a sudden, just in a blink of an eye, his life went from, I am going head on trying to persecute the church of God. I am um, I'm doing everything I can to stop it to an awakening where he met Jesus and his life was completely transformed. Now, has anyone ever heard like a radical testimony before? Yeah, Chris, a couple people, one, two, three, four, five. You guys ever heard, I mean, you guys have been going to church, a lot of you guys probably for the, you know, your whole life. You guys never heard someone come up on the stage and talk about, hey, I used to do drugs, hey, I used to do this, hey, I used to do that, right? That's called a testimony. They're testifying of what God has done in their life, right? Hey, I'm Kervin, and this is my world. As a young kid, I grew up in church and gave my life to God. But as I grew older, I became complacent. I saw all the other kids my age having fun, staying out late, hitting on girls and doing whatever they wanted to do. I wanted to be like them, and it mattered more to me than my desire to please God. This started to affect my behavior. When I was 12, I began to smoke marijuana, which led to alcohol, which eventually led to me using ecstasy. I began developing some pretty heavy addictions and to support my habit, I began stealing and robbing from people. I even started to sell drugs. It went so far that I started getting in trouble with the law. I was arrested for numerous larcenies and drug possessions. I was in and out of jail for weeks at a time and was even placed on probation. But that didn't stop me. After a month in jail, I was placed on intensive house arrest for seven months as I awaited my sentencing. I was isolated and fell into serious depression at that time. It was then that I developed a horrible cocaine addiction. My family never stopped praying for me. And my childhood friend, Candace, would often stop by to pray with me and tell me that God had more for my life than what I had become. But for me, I felt it was all too late. In January 2004, I stood before the judge to receive my verdict. Little did I know that my mom had been praying and negotiating 
behind the scenes to get me into a rehabilitation and discipleship program known as Teen Challenge as an alternative to prison. The judge showed me favor and gave me the option to either go to prison for 10 years or complete the Teen Challenge program. I chose the program as a way of escape from prison, but my heart was still very hard towards God. I figured I could squeeze through the program and be back out in the streets in a year doing what I wanted to do. But once I got the Teen Challenge, my life started to change. I really began to take in the Word of God and learn about His love for people like me. It blew me away as I started to think that after all I had done, not only did God want to forgive me, clean my heart and make me new, He wanted to use me as well. At that point, I realized that I could not make it in this life without Him. It was there in January of 2004 that I experienced the real love of Christ for the first time and accepted Him into my life. Since then, I have never been the same. After I graduated from the program, I stayed and worked there for an additional year. That childhood friend, Candace, that prayed so many nights for me, became my wife. And for the past four years, we've been in full-time ministry, traveling all over the country, sharing the gospel of Christ to a lost and dying generation. Looking back, it's amazing to see the change God did in my life. I was hopeless and saw no future for myself. But He took me, healed my heart, and brought so much love into my world. He redirected my life, and now I live to please Him and share His love with this young generation, encouraging them to walk in the purpose and destiny they were created for. And basically what they're doing is they're saying, I had no hope, but this is what God did through me. And that's called grace, because God took someone that didn't deserve something and gave him such amazing things. And so Paul is the ultimate example of God's grace. I'm not making a phone call. Okay. So number one thing that um, I felt like God wanted us to, us to share is God's grace, number one, is a gift. Okay? It's unmerited. We didn't deserve it. Now, when you grow up in the church, you're kind of like, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. Yeah, you know, this stuff's great. Yeah, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to go to youth group. I'm going to um, go to the, you know, whatever, the, the different events. I'm going to do what my mom and dad do, but um, you've been pretty sheltered, you know? And for someone that, that comes up and said, hey, I went through all this crazy stuff, you know, and this is what God transformed my life, that's kind of unrelatable in some ways for some people. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn from that. And I, I hope we all learn from, um, learn from this guy, Paul. Um, I just want to give a quote. This is, uh, the, this, this is by a guy named George McDonald. He's talking about grace. And he's talking about the world. Now, this is what he says. He says, the world, can almost, the, the world can do anything almost as well or better than the church. You don't need to be a Christian to build houses, to feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Now, what happens at your school? What happens at your school when you have a bad grade? Do your teachers go, oh, you know what? Jesus loves you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Did that happen? No. no. What happens when you're, you're late to work and you completely forgot about your responsibilities? Do they go, give you a little pat on the back, like, that's okay. Jesus loves you. No. That you're fired. You're out of there. You know, you don't get your paycheck. 
They're not offering you anything. The world has no grace. It's saying you have to be perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're not going to college. And if you're not perfect, you're not getting a good job. And if you're not perfect, you're not doing these things. But God is saying, despite your imperfections, I'm going to do an amazing thing through your life. He's constantly saying, look, I don't see you as that person who failed the test. I don't see you as that person who lied to your mom. I don't see you as that person. When you accept Jesus Christ, he doesn't see those things. He doesn't see your sin. But he sees, God the Father sees Jesus through you. So he sees perfection, which is amazing. And so this is what the world doesn't offer. It doesn't offer grace. Okay? And this is what the world needs. Um, So Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 1, it says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which, we'll stop for a second, the dispensation from my commentary and what I read, because I'm not, like, super smart guy, um, although I can say that word right, I'm pretty sure, dispensation. Um, that actually means, this is like the manager. So, you know, this is like the manager of the grace of God. God is giving him a responsibility so he's talking about the grace of God, right? He says, which was given to me for you. All right? Now, if you look at a pastor, the reason why he's a pastor is because you would think, right, that he has a pretty advanced relationship with God in the sense that maybe he's spiritual. And in a sense, spiritual should be spirit-filled, you know? You would think that this is somebody that I can look up to because he has a great relationship with God and that this guy is somebody that I can follow. Is that correct? For some people, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to want to listen to a guy that's life is a mess, that he's going out, you know, drinking all night, you know, waking up the next morning, and, you know, going go and, um, you know, gambling his all the church money away, right? You're not going to want to follow that guy, right? You, got, you guys on track with me? Okay. So, this guy Paul, this is what he's talking about. So, God give me this grace so that I can be a manager of this grace and, and, and show you guys the way, Okay. Verse 3 says, How by, that by revelation he made known to me the mystery that I brief, brief, briefly written already, by which, when you have read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has been now revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs or of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace given to me by the effective working of his power. Number one, the, gift, the, the, the grace of God is a gift. But well, basically what he's saying right there, I know that's kind of a lot of words, um, basically what he's saying is during this time, we have the written word, but God was being, he was offering up new revelation, new truth, okay? Because before then, God's relationship was for the Jewish people, right? Is anybody here Jewish? No? Mishlo? Mishlo's Jewish, okay. But, but really, there's two, in God's eyes, back, back then, there was two different types of main people. There was the, the Jewish people and then the Gentiles, okay? Now, I'm a Gentile, you're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile, you're a Gentile. That means we're all Gentiles, right? Which, what does this mean? If we're all Gentiles... Let me ask you a question. Back then, was the God, or back then, was the truth, the Old Testament, the, 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 God, of, the God of Israel, was that for us? No, it wasn't for us unless we became Jewish. Yeah, we would have to do everything they had to do. 
We would have to do all their laws. We would have to do everything. So this wasn't for us, but this is what it was all about. Paul's saying, now this gospel is for us, okay? Because God had his chosen people, but through that chosen people, he produced one person, Jesus Christ, actually who was God, who is God, in order to save us all so that everyone could be saved. And so this is basically what he's saying. He's saying, this is for everyone. It's not just for the Jewish people, okay? Um, and so it says, verse uh, 7 says, Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And so basically he's just saying, he's saying, I'm a minister of the grace of God, okay? Um, this is one of my favorite chapters, and we're going to see a little bit, a little bit why. Um, Verse 8 says, To me, who am, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now, this guy, Paul, this guy did, like, everything. I mean, this guy, this guy, you, you read, he wrote more books in the New Testament. This guy did so many different miracles. This guy did so many different missionary journeys. He was the in, most influential, apart from Jesus, he was the most influential Christian New Testament um person in the new testament and he says i am the least of the apostles why is he saying that anybody know why because of his past yes that's exactly right because of his past this is not false humility because of his past because he knew what he did to the to the church he, this is what he said. He said, because I'm the least of all the apostles, okay? What he was recognizing was that he didn't deserve the grace that God gave him. Now, even though he didn't deserve the grace that God gave him, do you think he was, you know, at his house, you know, like, oh, poor me, you know, I'm not worthy, you know, don't do anything, I'm just going to be depressed at home and sleep all day? Was he that guy? No, no, he was going out there changing the world. You know, he was doing radical stuff. Imagine, this is what the Bible talks about in Acts, that people would come behind him, touch his, his handkerchief, and they would be healed. Okay? This guy. I mean, God was just doing radical stuff. Who wants to be used by God in that kind of way? Does anybody want to, I want to be used by God in that kind of way. I mean, that's like life-altering stuff. This is just, this is cool, cool stuff. And God was doing it through this guy. But he says, I am the least of all the apostles. So, we need to start from an attitude of being humble about the grace of God. We do not deserve the grace of God, okay? But let's turn to Luke chapter 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke. That's it right there. Okay. All right, Luke chapter 7. I'm just going to read this for you guys. Please listen. Um, because once you understand grace, I mean, oh man, this is so amazing. Verse 40, you know, this is a parable. You guys know what parables are? Okay. This is, um, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. He said, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, that's like a type of money, and one another 50. And when they had nothing for which to pay, to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore... Which of these will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered the house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. What is that saying? She's being humble. She's worshiping God. 
I don't know if you guys can even imagine going to this house, which all these rich people are there, and going before God, going before Jesus Christ, going before all these people, you know, especially if you're a woman, and taking your hair and anointing God's feet with your hair. I mean, how much humility would that take? And this is how much that this woman appreciates what God's done in her life. So verse 44 says, Then he turned to the woman and said, um, I'll repeat that. It says, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. She is just loving on God. She's loving on Jesus. She is so thankful for what God has done in her life that she is just right there, teary-eyed, hair is probably a mess, you know, just, just absolutely so thankful and doing whatever she could to show God her appreciation. He says, You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my, heat, my feet with fragrant oil. Okay? This is costly stuff. This is a sacrifice. Okay? Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved, for, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Okay? For whom, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. So here Paul was give, forgiven a lot. And so what did he do? He used that and did this radical, radical, radical thing. Um, which totally changed the whole world because he was so blessed with what with what Jesus has done in his life. And I think here's the problem. I grew up in the church just like you guys. I grew up going to Sunday school. I grew up doing the same old thing all the time. I knew all the right answers, you know, I, you know, anytime the youth pastor would say something, well, what was the question? Jesus, you know. I mean, I, I was right there. I was right with you guys. But you know what? I got complacent and I got bored. And what happened is I completely lost sight of what Jesus had done for me. The Bible says that if you break one little part of the law, you break everything. So here's the problem, okay? We have this holy, righteous God who's perfect, who's loving, who has never, ever done anything wrong, who is all love, and then you have us out of the womb, we're sinning. You ever seen like little babies when they're together? You know, one grabs a toy, the other one pushes them, you know? Like one, you know, one's just walking, and then all of a sudden the other guy slaps him on the head. You know, I mean, kid, kid, you can just see the effects of sin on like these little kids, you know? They're like, man, that kid's a sinner. You know, I don't care what you say. I mean, that kid's a sinner. You know, they're cute, but they're sinners. You know, they're cute sinners, basically. So, you know, we're we're born that way. So it doesn't matter if you've been to church your whole life. It doesn't matter if you do this. It doesn't matter if you, you know, you you're you're this perfect perfect person. You know, God's grace is the same as it is for someone that just committed murder, and God forgives them. Okay. And, and, and here's the challenge. The challenge is to have the same appreciation, okay? The same appreciation for God's grace. Now, we all don't deserve forgiveness. But one thing, here's the challenge, guys. One thing is God has forgiven us. So what should that lead us to do? Forgive others, right? You can't say, you know what? I'm not forgiving that person. You know, they, they did so much to me. You know, or who does that person think they are? You know, or I'm going to give that person a piece of my mind. Or, you know, I mean, there's so many different attitudes that people have. 
But then when you pause and take a look at what God has done in your life, and if you actually do that, because listen, I can be petty. I, I can be honest with you. I can be petty. I cannot forgive. I can hold grudges. I can be like, man, it is tough. It's really tough. And for whoever tells you that, you know, they've, they're perfect and can do it all together, that's, that's the scary part. But you know what? This is what God's trying to show me in my life. He's trying to show me to forgive quickly because God has just totally forgiven everything in my life. Um, and what's interesting is what the church does a lot of times. Now, there are some churches out there that have no concept of what grace is about, okay? Um, these churches mean well, but what they are basically a list of rules of do's and don'ts, okay? Your skirt needs to be down here, all right? You cannot play guitar in church. You cannot um, play the drums. I don't know. Um, you know, some of you guys may have grown up in some of these churches. Maybe you know some of these type of thing where there's like a thousand rules of do's and don'ts that are not in the Bible. It doesn't say anything about these things in the Bible. But this is the opposite of grace. All right, guys. Now, I'm going to read this right here. This is from this book. It says, In church the other day, the other Sunday, I was intent on a small child who was turning around smiling at everyone. He wasn't gurgling, he wasn't spitting, he wasn't humming or kicking or tearing the hymnals or rummaging through his mother's handbag. He was just smiling. Finally, his mother jerked him about and in a stage whispered that could be heard in a little theater off-Broadway saying, Stop that grinning. You're in church. With that, she gave him a belt, you know, so she beat him, and tears rolled down his cheeks and added, That's better. So she says that's better because he was crying about it, you know, because this kid was smiling. All right, guys. All right, let's, let's, let's finish this, okay? It says, suddenly, I was angry. It occurred to me the entire world is in tears. And if you're not, then you better get with it. You know, people want to see other people miserable, okay? I wanted to grab this little child with his tear-stained face close to me and tell him about my God, the happy God, the smiling God, the God who has a sense of humor to have created the likes of us. By tradition, one wears faith with the solemnity of a mourner. And solemn means like having, you know, like a, like a, like a, a face that's, you know, you can tell that someone's like real serious and real, yeah, you guys get it. You guys are smart. It says... The gravity of a mask of tragedy, the dedication of a rotary badge. What a fool, I thought. Here was a woman sitting next to the only light left in our civilization, the only hope, the only miracle, our only promise of infinity. If he couldn't smile in church, where was there left to go? Okay? And this is what a lot of our churches do, is not displaying the grace of God. Um... As I, as I turn back to Ephesians chapter 3, um, number two is God's grace is faithful, okay? God's grace is a gift. God's grace is faithful. The cool thing about God's grace, and I can't say the cool thing, the amazing thing about God's grace is it doesn't matter how far you think you're gone. It doesn't matter how bad you think you've done. It doesn't matter how deep you think your sin is. God's grace, it covers that. It doesn't matter how bad you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter 
how dark your heart is, it doesn't matter even if you're the killer or even if you're the thief or even if you're right standing right next to Jesus as he's dying. You guys remember the guy. Jesus said, he said, I believe in him. And he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Okay? God's grace is faithful. It, does, it covers more than what we can ever imagine. You know, some people say, that God is the God of the second chance, but he's more than that. He's God of the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth chance. And what does that produce, or what should that produce in our life? It should produce hope. We don't have to worry about our lives in the sense that, you know what, we have to be perfect because God's grace covers us. You know, he loves us so much. And this is what Paul wants to, he, this is his main reason. This is why Paul, back then, would get up out of bed and get on his hands and knees. Verse 9, it says, um, I'll start with uh, once again with verse 8. It says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Listen to that word, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, that to me, I, that just makes me think, what is this thing? What is unsearchable? Or what, what are the riches of Christ? Okay? What is this grace? And to make all see the fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the ages, has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, in the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, and he always says, therefore, because therefore, it's for a reason. I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. So this guy's in jail right now. Paul's in jail. And he's saying, the reason why I'm in jail is for your, for your benefit. Verse 14 says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. So Paul's saying, for this reason, I bow my knees. What, what is he talking about? Yeah, for this reason, this is why I'm getting down and praying. This is why I'm a prayer warrior. This is why. This is what I want you guys to get. This is what he's saying. He's saying that he would grant you, according to the riches, there it is, again, the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, Maybe to comprehend, he, he wants you to get this, may be able to comprehend with all the saints, with everyone, what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So he's saying, this is why, let's just paraphrase a little bit, this is why he's getting on his hands and knees. So you guys know the width, the height, the depth, how amazing God's love is for you guys. It's just so incredible. And when you get this, when you get God's love, you're going to be changed. Your life is going to be changed. It's not going to be the same anymore. And when you see guys like Michelo, or you see guys like Pastor Lee, or you see guys that their whole life is dedicated to serving God, it's because something happened in their life which was beyond, they can't go back. They can't ever go back because God changed their heart in such a radical way through this love. If you guys can get this love, if you guys can actually experience this love, experience this grace, your life is going to be forever changed. 
Now, Paul says, I do not set aside the grace of God in Galatians 2.21. And what he's saying is, yes, God's given me grace. And this is referring to something else. He says, God's given me grace so that when I sin, I'm covered by the grace of God. But that doesn't give you an excuse to sin. He says, I don't set aside that grace of God. But this love, number three, God's grace is love. Now that's what, um, in 2 Corinthians 5.14, I'm going to turn there real quick. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, then those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Okay, and this is the main point, okay? This is the main thing. If you guys have experienced God, if, if you guys have been saved, if you guys have been covered and, and, and Jesus has actually completely washed away your sins, then don't live for yourself. Live for God. You know? This, and, and Solomon... This guy who had everything, he had everything that the world would say, okay, I want that. You know, he was the richest man in the world. Um, you know, he had all the possessions, he had all the relationships, he had everything, everything you could ever want. At the end of his life, he said, this is the two things that matter, okay? To fear God and to serve him. And so for any of us that think, okay, it, it's, what it's about is chasing this car, chasing this girl, this boy, you know, um, this college, whatever, you know, whatever thing is saying, okay, this is what it's about. You know, some of those things, God gives us the desires of our heart. But the main thing, the main thing is actually living your life for God. So I'm going to read that verse one more time. We can close off with that. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ drives us because we judge that thus, that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and for those that rose again. Um, I'm going to close with this about grace. This is this guy, David Siemens, um, summed up his counseling career. He's a Christian counselor and summed up his whole Christian counseling uh, career like this. Many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the two major causes of most emotional problems come from Christians are these. The failure to understand God's unconditional grace and the forgiveness and the failure to give out that unconditional love, forgiveness, and grace to other people. You know, we read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news of the gospel of grace has not penetrated the level of our hearts or emotions. Okay? And, and truly, truly, I want to encourage you guys. This week, set a goal. If someone does something to you, you are a Christian. If you are a Christian, respond in grace, respond in love. And this is how it changes people's lives. People will be blown away if they try to run over you and you love on them. Or if they do something, you know, just spiteful or petty or whatever, and you don't respond the same way, they're going to be blown away. And this is what changes, God. This is what changes lives. And this is how we can love each other. The Bible talks about by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the main thing. And so we're just going to close with that. Um, 
If you guys have never read this book before, this is a really cool book. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Really um, interesting book. Not a plug, really, but it's a good book. But um, anyway, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you, God, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy, Lord. We thank you for just that unmerited grace. We thank you for, God, each person here. Lord, I just pray for, for anyone in here that's struggling with grace, that's maybe hard on themselves, Lord, or maybe um, hard on others, Lord, we just pray that, that your love would abound in their lives. We pray that your grace would abound in their lives. Um, for anyone here that's never received Christ into their hearts, that wants to experience forgiveness, that wants to experience grace, Lord, we pray that you touch their hearts right now. Um, Lord, and we pray that you do a, a, a mighty work in their lives, Lord, and bring them to your love, Lord. We bring them to, to your forgiveness, and, and Lord, we pray that um, they would be able to meet you and see that the goodness of God, Lord, will, will lead them to repentance, the kindness of God. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen.